Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. So today it's appropriate that we look uh, take a look at how Irish the agri- Irish agricultural sector plans to adapt to the current and expected changes in our climate. And to d- discuss this further, I'm delighted to be joined by Damien Wise, Higher Education uh, Executive Officer uh, in Climate Change and Bi- Bioenergy Policy Unit in the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine. And we're also joined by our very own uh, Dr. Michael O'Donovan, head of the Chagas Grassland Science Department uh, based in Moor Park. So today, uh, Damien, you're going to give us a presentation and uh, Michael, you're also going to give us a presentation. Uh, Damien, I think uh, you, you got the, the, the flip of the coin. So uh, you, you'll kick us off this morning's presentation. You're going to be focusing on uh, the adaptation plan that uh, your department has developed are in consultation with uh, stakeholders. And uh, so this is very much focusing on how we plan for the negative effects of climate change. And I suppose also the positive effects of climate change. Is that something that will feature? (coughs) It is something that uh, came up, but much, much less. So we focused on the priority impacts and the negative. Um, I mean, you do hear some talk about an extended grazing season potential benefits of that but there are complications around that say um, that the extension to the season being at the shoulders could have issues with craftability of the land so so even the positives with uh, climate change aren't necessarily as straightforward as it might, might appear but a uh, presentation today I focused mostly on the unfortunately the negatives the impacts and and that's that's mostly what is focused on in the plan and how we adapt to right. Okay, so Damien, if you could share your screen with us and uh, we will hear your presentation and remind everybody, if you have your questions ready, you can submit them through the Q&A tab at the bottom of the screen and we'll endeavour to put all of your questions to the two speakers today. So over to you, Damien. Perfect. Thanks, Mark. Um, And on behalf of the department, thanks to Chagas for giving us the opportunity to do this presentation today and talk a bit more about adaptation in the agricultural sector. Um, my presentation focuses on a, a brief overview of exactly what we mean when we talk about climate change adaptation. I'll discuss some of the policy influences, both international and uh, domestic, uh, and some of the broader context that fit into our, our creation of the sectoral adaptation plan. Um, for those who saw Keith Lankin's uh, excellent presentation last week, and um, I'll reiterate some of the some of the information that we considered around projected changes. Uh, for Ireland's climate. Um, as part of the work in producing the adaptation plan, we conducted a national scale assessment of current and potential future uh, climate impacts and as part of an impact and vulnerability assessment. And this, we produced a list of priority impacts that uh, we expect to see from climate change. And I'll briefly outline some of those, as well as some of the cross-sector adaptation issues. And then I'll uh, go through some of the case studies that we reached in the plan measures, potential adaptation measures contained in those that could be considered. Um, So what is adaptation? Uh, Climate change adaptation refers to how we plan for the negative effects of climate change and take suitable action to prevent or minimize the damage it can cause. Adaptation planning allows us to build resilience to changes in our climate, allowing society to take advantage of any opportunities that might bring. Um, Ireland's climate is changing in line with global patterns. So an increase in mean annual air temperature, the number of warm days, uh, increase in annual number of annual frost days, and uh, increase in annual rainfall. Um, but even if we were to become a carbon neutral society tomorrow, our climate is going to continue to change. So sustainable adaptation is going to be necessary one way or another, and the agriculture sector. So here are some of the uh, adaptation policy influences that that feed into our work in this area internationally. There's the Paris Agreement and the Sustainable Development Goals, and Goal 13, uh, as you can see, is particularly relevant to adaptation work. Uh, there's the Green Deal with a proposal to enshrine adaptation strategy law, uh, a step up on adaptation across the EU. Uh, domestically, the Climate Action and Low Carbon Development Act 2015 gives statutory authority to the work that we do in the area. Uh, on the adaptation side, the National Adaptation Framework, uh, arising out of the Act, gives a framework for how we um, 
create our sectoral allocation plan. And we created it alongside, uh, it was done as a whole of government uh, approach to creating uh, adaptation plans. So agriculture is one sector, but there are 11 others, um, such as biodiversity, water infrastructure and water quality. And our own plan, for example, uh, contains agriculture, forest and seafood, three related sectors uh, all taken together. And then there's the Climate Action Plan to tackle climate disruption, which the next iteration of that is currently being discussed as well. The Climate Change Advisory Council, an independent, uh, independent advisory body tasked with assessing and advising on how the country is making the transition to a low carbon, climate resilient and environmentally sustainable economy. They also feed into our work uh, and provide commentary uh, and guidance. They're established in 2016 uh, in their 2019 review, just one point, that adaptation is continuous learning and improvement process. And really where it, uh, with this first uh, statutory plan, it's it's an iterative process, but this is the first statutory plan. So in, in a way, although there has been adaptation work ongoing, uh, we're at the start of a, a formal uh, coordinated process. Um, in December 2019, was a review of the in the review of the sectoral adaptation plan making. Uh, the CCSE noted that although climate adaptation is expensive, inaction will likely cost more. Uh, good progress has been made, but gaps remain. And perhaps the most important important point that they made for our work in the department is that uh, to date, awareness of the need for adaptation remains poor. And to counter this, we need to ensure adaptation is properly mainstreamed policy. Uh, the IPCC 2019 Climate Change and Land Special Report uh, also we're considering. Land provides the principal basis for human livelihoods and well-being, including the supply of food, the support of source and the sink of greenhouse gases. And land ecosystems and biodiversity are vulnerable to ongoing climate change and weather and climate extremes. Sustainable land management can contribute to reducing the negative impacts of multiple stresses, including climate change, on ecosystems and societies. So, what changes in climate are likely to be the greatest impact on the agricultural sector? Um, again, this, this will be familiar to anyone who saw uh, Keith's presentation last week. Um, in conducting our risk assessment as part of the adaptation plan, we identified the following changes in climate as those most likely to impact on the sector. So, drier summers, uh, average temperature increase of 1.6 towards mid-century, and this may look like a small change, but a small change in the average can have a big impact on the extremes. Wetter winters, up to 14% increase in winter rain, rainfall, and more intense storms predicted. So uh, sticking with that point, the impact on a small uh, change in the average, this you know graphic just demonstrates that a small change in the average uh, causes a big strain change in the extremes. It can push the normal to a new normal. Um, in practical terms, we have a lot of examples of that now, uh, the dawn of, of extreme events, um, summer 2018 following itself, following um, <clears throat> a long winter period, and then Storm Lorenzo in October, um, uh, where many houses were flooded, businesses were losing power, and it's difficult to remember even from since we've been through a lot since February, but uh, in February of this year, uh, heavy rainfall caused flooding in parts of the country. And then we had a, an excessively dry spring, which caused a landslide uh, in Leitrim at the Dawn of Hope Bridge as well. And, and all these just serve to illustrate that unfavorable climate events uh, are going to become more frequent and, uh, and more extreme. That, um, excuse me, that adaptation planning uh, in effects in effect resilience building is crucial to So the observed changes in climate which, uh, which we've just seen there uh, changes in air temperature, precipitation patterns, uh, extreme events in preparing our adaptation plan these were identified as likely to have the greatest impact on the agricultural sector and the uh, following impacts here showing as, as the great, uh, greatest priority uh, for the sector or others. Um, but these are the priority impacts that were identified uh, in our work and preparing. So Surrey storage and land spreading, soil quality condition impacted by both wet and dry conditions, wind throw due to stormy weather and a, greatest, a greater increase on our 
risk on waterlogged soils, infrastructure damage, and survivability of vector-borne diseases and possible prevalence of pests and diseases, and changing pest and disease behavior, heat stress, and food safety irrigation. The food safety issues which could potentially arise where irrigation interventions are required. And I've already mentioned that there's that this plan, the agriculture plan, was done uh, as part of a suite of plans, if you like, covering a lot of sectors. So there are cross-sectoral adaptation issues as well. Uh, intensification of agriculture putting pressure on our environment, in particular water quality, land use options not always being correct for soil type, biodiversity suffering as a result of intensification and monocropping. Farm infrastructure may be inadequate for future climate scenarios, and uh, increased intensity of rainfall threatens soil function and ability to And so the, these cross-sectoral issues and priority impacts were explored in greater detail in a series of case studies uh, that are contained in the plan. Um, under the headings here, so animal health and welfare, biodiversity and agriculture, food safety, ecology, grass and horticulture, age water and agriculture, wind control, forests. And uh, these case studies presented possible adaptation measures that could be useful in making the sector more resilient. So biodiversity and agriculture, use of nature-based nature solutions approach to adaptation, hedgerows to provide shelter to protect crops, cold heat, create biodiversity uh, hotspots which can host natural enemies of pests, improving soil structures as a way of facing the challenges of climate change, um, under horticulture and tillage, use of catch crop mixtures with different characteristics, um, such as resistance to pests and diseases, uh, adapt sowing dates, species of varies, variety selection, new agricultural techniques and products. Um, under grassland, or, or a case study in grassland, um, build fodder reserves, early warning systems to identify deficits in feed. There's also mitigation measures, um, because mitigation and adaptation go hand in hand. A lot of time, so some adaptation measures have mitigation built into them as well. So, use of mitigation species swards, or sorry, sorry, excuse me, use of mixed species swards and leguminous crops, crops more resilient to increased temperatures. Uh, under animal health and welfare, pr promoting sustainable animal health and welfare practices, for example, adequate housing and shelter during heat waves. Uh, grassland, maximizing grazing efficiency through recording grass production. Um, and water and agriculture properly sited and designed slurry stores to prevent runoff. And so, conclude from that. So, I mean, the adaptation plan contains a range of these case studies uh, and potential measures that uh, those involved in the sector could go to uh, as a starting point and how they might adapt their own practices better, uh, better prepare and plan for, for the expected changes that we see. In conclusion, uh, we're already experiencing the negative impacts of climate change. Climate change amplifies the existing risks and creates new ones. Adaptation is not an alternative to mitigation, but an essential component in our efforts to reduce the impacts of climate change. And well-planned early adaptation done right saves money, protects nature, and helps to prevent the Thank you, Damien. That was a, an excellent overview of uh, the work that you've been doing on the adaptation side of things. Um, so what we're going to do now is uh, Michael Donovan is going to give us a presentation on some of the practical aspects of adaptation, particularly uh, in the context of grassland uh, management. Uh, Michael, are you there? Can uh, Sorry, I need to switch on your video, I think, Michael, do I? Um, so... Um, so, Michael, we had a presentation last week from uh, Keith Lampkin from Met Erin, and he was uh, showing us some of the, the work that Chagas has been doing uh, in association with Met Erin, uh, particularly around grass growth and grass modeling. Uh, that's a, a project you've been directly involved in. Is that right? That's correct. Um, that's correct. Uh, Mark, I'm just trying to share my screen here. Um, okay. Can you see it, I can? Uh, nothing coming through just yet. Yeah, something happening there now. Have you got that? Yes, we can see your screen now. Okay, okay so, um, yeah, um, I, 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 for, for the purpose of this webinar, uh, and, you know, to talk about mitigation, climate, like climate change mitigation, from the aspect of where we are in, 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 in the grassland science side of things in Tagus, 
one of the key things for us is, is to try to control and try to improve our understanding of, of grass growth variation, what's going on with grass growth, and um, basically how to, how to you know, bring in a, an early warning system, how to improve our management. So um, very clear for us, um, you know, Irish grassland characteristics are very clear in the sense that we have high pasture productivity potential and there's low enough variability in seasonal supply and quality. And for us, um, and it's kind of reiterated in the farm to fork strategy that has been produced in the last six weeks, you know, if we can increase the level of home produced protein and home produced feed and make that as, as sustainable as possible, we're going to, you know, move forward in, 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 in that farm to fork strategy pretty successfully. But as, 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 as the industry knows, there's, there's um, inconsistent product prices and there's rising costs, you know, year on year, you know, there's inflationary costs between inputs and, and labor. And, um, you know, increased grazed grass, you know, it does decrease the cost inside farm gate and, and makes us more and more competitive. And like, one of the key things for us is always to consider what, you know, well-managed, um, Grazed grass, well-utilized grazed pasture. Uh, the cost, you know, the cost benefit of that relative to other feeds, such as okay, grass silage is an in, is is a home-produced feed, but it's still it's still you know um, nearly you know two and a half times the cost of well-utilized grass. Then you have you know the concentrate coming in through the farm gate, which again uh, a good bit dearer, nearly five times, and then you know you have forage crops, forage crops, which are kind of opportunistic um, crops that. People grow it, uh, you know, generally in 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 the early autumn. They're not without their costs either. And I suppose everything here is in the, is is in the context of farm to fork. Um, as uh, Damon just alluded to, the you know the climate action plan, um, water quality, and you know air increasing or, or increasing our air, our air quality. So, like I, what I've done here is I've put in some recent weather challenges that we've met, we've met, and um, the concept of pasture. Base Ireland, some of the drought impacts, especially the drought of 2018. Um, our new, I suppose, grass growth model, the, the most, uh, the more Park Sanjil grass growth model, which is, you know, uh, driven by LED Ruel. And I suppose what improvements we have to make uh, as regards um, controlling very, very grass growth very, very little. So I just looked um, for the purpose of this, we have, we're measuring rainfall in Park for the last, um, since 1950, and like this is probably what you can see per decade, as as um, from 1950 uh, up through the decade to the, to the current date. So you can see a, 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 a steady, very steady increase in, in, in grass growth uh, through those decades. And then, when you look at um, the months, the 12 months of the year by by, by decade, what's what's really interesting for me is, uh, and we've we've targeted seasonal grazing and you know, targeted grazing now at the shoulders of the year. And like, as, as, you've, as we have moved through, um, we just moved through some of the, 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 the months of February per decade, you can see here, you know, it's, it's, it's probably fairly apparent uh, why we have targeted that because February, March periods have, have, they have, they have shown decreased um, spring rainfall in those periods. But if you, if you just go back to the mid-season, the, the mid-summer months of, uh, let's say, uh, May, June, July, and um, you know we had a lot in Moorpark, and this is the Moorpark side alone. We had a lot less rainfall in those months through the the seventies and eighties, and it has has become to increase uh, in, in the in the last twenty years. And again, the one apparent thing for us um, looking at, for me looking at this graph is, you know, the movement towards higher rainfall in those winter months. You know, and okay, in the last nine years, look at if you look at December. But uh, even you know December and other in, in, in the last in the last decade was 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 considerably lower than this decade. So okay, we have we we've seen an increase in overall annualized rainfall per decade, but there is variation taking place through the months, and I suppose that's where some of our mitigation has to has to be considered. And I suppose we have we have looked at that um, uh, through uh, you know targeting earlier spring grazing in, in that February period February period now. So some of the recent weather challenges and um, looking at the recent weather challenges, there's been about seven weather challenges in the, in the last 11 years. And some of these have varied from two weeks up to three months. And like the most recent um, weather challenge, if you just go through these, has been, you know, very low rainfall 
in the eastern um, eastern coastal counties um, in May or June of this year, which caused uh, you know a fair amount of supplementation intervention to take place. Then the previous one to that would, would have been uh, the drought of 2018, which would have been would have been you know probably cost the country about three ton of of pasture on average and um, on individual farms that might have been that might have been uh, um, a lot more considerable. Um, March, uh, March, April of 18 with Storm Emma, you know, two weeks of no goat, uh, which I suppose, you know, did a lot of damage on the farm as regards feed, feed supply. Um, you know, there was a lot of feed being used for a two to three week period uh, in that period. There was no, there was a delayed spring grass growth. There was no, no growth there for, 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 for a number of weeks um, due to the, due to the, the, the snowfall that, that we had. Then there has been, you know, uh, other rain um, weather events like um, the storm, storm Ophelia in September, October uh, of 17, which, you know, caused a lot of uh, uh, livestock to be housed and constrained a lot of silage harvesting in, 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 in northwestern Midlands. And 13, a very cold spring, uh, you know, uh, autumn 12, very late autumn, and the two of these kind of joined onto each other to cause a fodder crisis in in the northwest, and then another fodder crisis down the south, and then May two thousand nine, there was a very heavy rainfall in, in that in that month, causing very very poor grazing conditions, delayed first cut silage, uh, and reduced dry matter production for the year, for that year. So, like of the seven of the seven weather events that we've experienced in the last eleven years, by far the most significant was um, the um, the drought of uh, two thousand and eighteen. And I suppose this just kind of shows you. Um, when I was putting this together, I I, I didn't probably um, take take um, you know when you have weather events, you kind of move on and you look to the future. But like we we have we have had a we have had a number, um, so it, you know it's 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 no coincidence. And I suppose the the thing that we have to be really wor um, working towards here is if there if there's weather events joined to each other, well then there has to be you know at farm level there has to be big mitigations factors put in place to, 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 to avoid what we saw in, in 18. Um, so this is just a grass growth curve of, of pasture base Ireland and um, many of you know pasture base which is um, run uh, and directed by Michal O'Leary which is our national grassland database. Um, the inputter of the data is, is farmer and basically at, at, at Poland is putting this data together, calculating the growth rates, and then producing reports. And we have a decision support, and then we have a database and limit system. And this is basically allowing us to track grass growth rates across farms, across farms, within farms, between farms. And this is just the national growth rate that I'm just showing you this morning. So again, what we've seen here this year is, you know, a lag in growth rate here in this um, in this um, May June period, and then a fairly big compensation here uh, in the last. Um, number of weeks and you know that, that growth rate is still hitting above 60 this week and and the big hole there that you see is probably um the grass growth from 2018 which you know as i alluded to earlier um took down dry matter production by by about three to three and a half ton across the country which is fairly substantial a fairly substantial uh, move backwards um, and a costly move backwards for, for many farms um so like if it's always good and the big good thing about pasture base is that we, we know we know from week to week where we are nationally. Um, we have farms measuring <clears throat> from Skull and West Cork up to Manon Hill and Donegal, across the load and up So like we have a huge um, uh, <clears throat> I suppose amount of data coming through the system. Um, and it's making use of this data and making good decisions with this data is probably the, the, the real move forward for us. For this is, so this is the farm grass dry, dry matter production, dry matter production uh, from 13 when we started PBI up to, up to today. And I just look, looked at, you know, where we were this time last day, where we were uh, this time uh, in 2018, there was about six and a half tonne of grass grown. Last year in 19, about eight tonne. And currently this year, we're, we're sitting at about 7.8 tonne. But if you put in the last two weeks growth rate, we were probably up to where we were in 2009. And like cumulatively, if you look at the, this is the full year's cumulative dry matter production, where we are growing nationally, back to 2018, where we grew about just over the uh, 11 ton, we're growing in and around 13 ton of, of dry matter. There's some good years where we're maybe getting a very good year in 17 to, to 14 ton, but we're on average, we're growing about 13, 13.3 ton of grass, grass 
production um, across the across across the year. And you know there is there is differences when you go into enterprises. Um, the dry stock that are that are measuring grass are growing about ten and a half to eleven ton of dry matter. And like this slide just shows you the dry matter production distribution of, of, of grass production across the three years. So what I have here is the amount of dry matter produced, or the proportion of dry matter produced here. So if we look at 25% of the population are growing about 13 ton of grass dry matter here in 2009. And what you, I just want you to focus on here is, as we move through the years, in 2018, 25% um, of the population grew about 10 ton. So a straight move back of three ton in that population. And again, you have the extremes here. You know, you have some farms who grew um, 16, 15, 16 ton. And in 2018, these farms were in the west of Ireland. They weren't in the, weren't in the east. And then you had, you know, farms which were really restricted by grass production in, in, that, in that road here, who grew six to seven ton. But that was a lower part of the population. And in 17, then, with nearly 30% 30, um, 30 of the population grew 14 ton of, of, of grass dry matter. So I suppose when you're looking at these averages, um, averages can be deceptive. And I suppose this is, you know, a much better way of looking at the data and, and seeing what report, where, where the proportions lie uh, as regards dry matter production. So you can see, you know, a large, a large chunk of the population are well capable of growing, you know, um, you know 13 to 14 ton onwards. Um, and farm environments, and this is the one thing that we have to consider. Um, Farm environments are not the same, um, and I have the the, the grass output gra graph there for, for for Ireland, and and many 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 people uh, have listened to us before, and you know Ireland is not that big, um, you know the cumulative grass dry matter production differences across the country uh, are very small, um, and that you know we might have said that ten or fifteen years ago, but when you look at uh, PBI data. You know, there's farms across the country well capable of growing 15, 16, 17 ton uh, with, with appropriate management, with appropriate soil fertility. Um, okay, in the Northwest, the, 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 there's higher rainfall and there's a, there's a later start to, to, to growth, but that doesn't mean the cumulative figure is, is that much different than, than the South Midlands. And a lot of the differences here are, that we see at, at farm level are enterprise driven, um, they're management driven, uh, in the sense that you know, you know, early turnout, grazings, time, the timing of things, the timing of grazing uh, issues is crucially important. Um, climate, yes, and how you how you adapt to climate and how you set up a farm system to climate is very, very important. And that's one of the reasons we, you know we have this heavy soils program run. You know, the use of farm roadways, the use of on-off grazing, their adaptations to climate, um, and many, many farmers have put them in place. Soil type, yes, um, you know, there's, few, there's, there's challenges with heavier soil types as regards grazing. Um, you know, they can, be, they can be very, very productive mid-season. That's, that's another challenge as regards timing of, you know, grazing, timing of taking out silage, whatever. And soil fertility, like uh, the, 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 the soil fertility challenge is just basically, you know, reacting to a, so, a, so, a soil, a, a soil um, report. I don't think there's... Um, you know, there's much more I can say on that, but you know, you know, soil fertility is basically, you know, good management reacting to what the report says and, and, and getting a, nutri a nutrient management plan in place. As regards sward species, um, you know, we have a considerable uh, amount of evidence now uh, out there um, showing, you know, the use and the advantage of grass clover uh, swords. Um, we've about eight years uh, work from here in, in Moor Park and um, about, uh, I think about six years in county, um, showing the benefit of high clover pastures and what they can grow, what the animal effects uh, are from them. Uh, and, you know, we, we are going to be met with, with um, lower, probably, uh, nitrogen application patterns. And one of the key things that we have to put in place is, is, um, is clover on farms. Um, like the evidence around multi-species uh, is, is, is not there yet. And, uh, you know, I would say the multi-species work is, is, is in its infancy. And uh, the persistency of, of, of multi-species forage is something that is going to be challenging uh, in, the, in, in the medium and longer term for, for, for those forage. While they may be there uh, at the start, they may not be there at the end. And the outcomes here that we're talking about here, 
uh, and it can be can be entirely different. You know, I could give you the range and differences there in dry matter production for all those factors. But you know, um, if you can if you can manage and and, and join the, the the positives of all those factors together, you know, you know, farms can produce uh, thirteen to fifteen ton of grass dry matter consistently. So I just wanted to look at in, inside in this because of you know. Um, Many of us didn't probably know what a, a, a large um, grass deficit was until 2018 came. And like, you know, at the time, different, um, I suppose, there was different reports of the cost of drugs coming out. And um, this is work, uh, this is the results from the National Farm Survey from, from Brian Moan's group um, uh, for the last three years. Um, so if you just focus here on 2018, concentrated costs increased by about two centiliter, over 17. Um, and concentrated input per cow went up by about 300 kilos um, and pasture and forage costs also went up by another centiliter. So like purely from the deficit of grass production um, the costs of concentrate and the cost of pasture and forage costs rose by about three centiliter. Um, number of grazing days moved backward by about, um, by about six and the one interesting thing here is, and this is from the dairy side, the milk produced actually stayed the same from the previous year. So, you know, um, farmers put in extra feed, but got actually no response, no extra response from that feed that went in in that year. Um, and the total cost, you can see here, the total cost, you know, went up by about um, four centiliter. So, I suppose it's 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 worth considering when you're putting in all this feed, and at the end of the, and uh, when you come to you know uh, December and you, you look at the you look at the, the the budget from the farm and there's there's you know no extra revenue coming from from the feed source. It's 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 uh, it's probably a huge huge pressure on 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 the farm incomes, and it is a huge pressure on farm incomes, and it's something that we probably have to be cognizant about. And like what I what I looked at here was the cost to a farm, a forty hectare farm of that drove was about sixteen euro. Uh, 16,000 euro, which is a substantial cost. And like the, on a per hectare, that's about 400 euro per hectare added feed cost in the 18. Um, and no added performance. That's the, probably the key thing that we have to focus on here. No added performance from this sector. When you look at the data, and I didn't show it here in this slide, the lower stock farms, and like by virtue of the fact of them being lower stocked, you would say that they, had, they were better in a better position. Like to, to, to cope with this, they actually had um, from the National Farm Survey the data um, higher feed costs, and that's something that we should consider here. You know, just because you're lower stock, we have to consider. You should well, you should be considering: are you are you using the feed inside the farm gate well enough? And you maybe could consider that they're not. Maybe these lower stock farms are not focused enough on pasture. And then from um, 2019, there's the residual feed costs. And in fairness to farmers out there, you know, they, uh, they build surplus, um, they mitigated this um, effect by building surplus silage uh, and they carried uh, That was a carried cost into 2019. So you can see there's, you can see there's a added awareness um, from the previous year on this. So one of the key things that we've looked at in the last probably, um, and one of the key limitations out there in grassland science in the world, you could say, is, is the lack of a model to predict grass growth and the lack of a usable model to predict grass growth that's used by the industry. And a um, number of my colleagues, Lawrence Shalou, Deirdre Hennessy, Elie Ruel, and some work, uh, some real collaborative work that we've put in place with INRA in, in, in St. Giles with Luke Delaby, has come to the fruition of delivering a, a Mopark San Gilles grass, predictive grass growth model, where we're taking account of the climate, and um, that's data coming from Metairn, daily data coming from Metairn, um, data coming from our farmers, which is pasture-based data on grass, pasture covers, um, and then also the farm data coming from um, the fertilizer management and, uh, and, and the um, background soil fertility of the farm. So through this um, model, uh, we, we have delivered a, 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 a farm predictive grass growth model that now is being used. And it's in its second year uh, of a pilot program on about 60 farms out nationally. And um, it has come to fruition where we now have, the, where we have accurate grass growth 
data from farms, accurate soil fertility data, accurate up-to-date uh, soil management data, we can, we, we, can, we, we can be quite accurate as regards the prediction of grass growth. And like, why is this important? It's important because like, if you do a farm cover today, that's last week's growth. It's not really telling you much about what's going to happen in the next seven to 10 days. And ultimately, if you want to be ahead of the game here, you have to know what's going to happen in the next seven to 10 days as regards you know, your management decisions for that. You know, you can get some long range forecasts and I think Keith spoke about that last week. You know, some of them are, can, can, can be uh, about 30% accurate what happens. But I suppose what we want to get to is we want to get to, you know, a high level of accuracy that we're actually preempting the decision making for the next 10 days, seven to 10 days, two weeks. And like um, the grass growth model here, um, weekly growth prediction, if you look on the left, here's the counties showing the current grass growth. Uh, and on the right, uh, you can look at the, uh, the moist model predictive grass growth. And you know, in any one week, these can move by 25, 30 kilos. Um, and that, that, I suppose that's the magnitude of management change that has to take place to alleviate some of the, some of the things that can happen at farm level. Um, and one of the key things for ourselves um, um, here in Tagus uh, and, and working with Medairn and trying to, to, to join up with other, other agencies is, is that we're using data, we're using data properly, and then we can you know, make, make proper use of this data to disseminate out this nationally. Uh, and the last fortnight, um, uh, Medairn have used this, and thank, thanks, to, thanks to the people in Medairn um, for taking this on board. Um, they have used this in the last two weeks um, uh, weather forecast, uh, farming weather forecast, um, and I think it's it's adding it's add, uh, our, our the responses that we have seen to this is it's, 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 it has been very very positive from from the farming community. So I suppose what do we do? Um, what is this going to do for us? Well, it's building awareness as regards grass supply uh, locally and ultimately through the Mahir network uh, nationally. Um, Ultimately, what we're trying to do here is making decisions uh, based through data. Uh, you know, it's, it's based through the data that's been fed in through the system. Um, from the farms that have been on the model, they are now using the, 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 the model outputs in grassland decisions as regards, you know, what decisions they can make for soilage um, conservation, what decisions they can make for, for stocking rate, uh, what decisions they're making for nitrogen. And that's probably the one key thing for us, you know, uh, the model output has given us really good decisions um, as regards nitrogen use on farm, whether you can uh, cut back on nitrogen uh, or whether you, 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 you need uh, nitrogen uh, to increase at, at different points. And that's one of the key things we see, you know, moving forward with this. Um, ultimately, we want to continue to improve this and, 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 and to get, uh, you know, good feedback to, down, to the, down through the system. And in time, through Vista Milk, we'll start machine learning this data and we'll start benchmarking decisions. You know, what if you do this? What if you do that? Um, but that and that is this, um, this line of uh, research is, 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 is about uh, 18 months in, 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 in fruition. So for us, as regards mitigation, um, um, the first thing I have to say here is no grass growing year is similar. No grass growing week is, 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 is the same either. So like, we have to, we have to uh, embrace this uh, fact um, and we have to build a national awareness as regards, you know, grass growth, what it is, what it's going to be. Um, grass production, it, 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 I'm afraid it requires continuous tracking. Um, and for us in Ireland, you know, grass is central to our feed in, in rural systems. Similar to similar to um, New Zealand, um, you know, it's the central feed, it's the base feed. If you read the farm to fork strategy, you know, we are well positioned to take advantage of that strategy because of the fact that we can, you know, produce so much protein inside farm gate. Um, farm self-sufficiency sometimes it's overlooked until there is a supply issue, and you know, 2018 has sh shown us really clearly that conserved feed. Uh, there has to be conserved feed surplus on farms, um, you know, and that, that's about 400, uh, 400 kilos of drama per livestock unit. And my colleague Joe Patton today um, is coming out with a, a report or a survey report where you know he has shown that this year, you know, there's about a 17% feed surplus on farms, um, based on a survey done um, on farms nationally, about 700 farms nationally um, in July. 
And like, you know, that's a very, very, very positive uh, position for, 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 for the, the country to be in at the moment. You know, we have to continue to, to actively pursue uh, grass measurement um, across, across enterprises. Uh, okay, at the moment, it's, it's very much driven uh, by the, the, the dairy side, but equally the dry stock side, have to, ha we, we would say that, you know, it's, it's equally and as important on, on, on the dry stock side. And we, we, we want to continue to move this forward all the time. The more the, the grass growth model, it, you know, will 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 again take on more farms in, in the coming years, and and we'll get, you know, probably better predictions uh, uh, from that. As regards annual fodder budget, I've said I've alluded to that, and that's available for all farms. And I suppose ultimately, what we're trying to do to mitigate climate uh, changes is we're trying to equip ourselves, um, you know in the industry, especially your farmers in the industry, to, to react earlier uh, in the medium, uh, longer and short term to, to grass supply changes. So Mark, um, that's, that's me done, so I might be a bit over time. Thanks, Michael, that was excellent and some really exciting research going on there in the whole area of uh, grass predictive modeling. It's nice to see it actually coming to fruition on, on the on Met Air and uh, Damien, if you could uh, ask you to join us again, um, and maybe we'll give Michael a minute to, to uh, catch his breath. Um, Damien is, uh, and, and Michael, thank you for two excellent presentations. Uh, Damien, uh, just in relation to the, the climate adaptation plan uh, for Ireland, um, there was a recent uh, finding by the Supreme Court that the Ireland, Ireland's national mitigation plan falls well short of being specific enough. Um, does this have implications for our adaptation uh, planning uh, in terms of, you know, this, this, the, the metrics involved there? Um, in, the, in the first instance, I'd revert to Minister Ryan, uh, is the lead minister, his department uh, on that, and his own uh, comments are that uh, it's a positive and they're going to review to see the implications of that decision. In terms of uh, the impact on, on us for, for adaptation planning and adaptation plan, um, that's still extant. Uh, in, in, some, in some ways, the 2017 mitigation plan was superseded by the, by the climate action plan, um, and what we're working off in the sectoral adaptation plan is still there. It's, it's a plan that is set to run um, a minimum or, or a maximum five years from 2019 have to be reviewed after that. It contains 16 actions and 41 sub-actions that we've now moved on to an implementation phase on that. So uh, yeah, the ruling requiring you know more specific uh, targets uh, in, in the mitigation plan uh, is something that is going to be reviewed in the Department of Communications, Climate Action and Energy, but for our own part practically uh, on our day-to-day -day work and implementation, yeah, implementing the adaptation plan uh, is fine for the time being. Oh, you're muted, Mark, sorry. Sorry about that, I have some background noise here. Um, Damien, uh, we have a question here about how does sustainable adaptation sit with sustainable intensification? This notion of, uh, I suppose, reducing the the carbon footprint per per liter or per kilogram of of uh, food produced. Um, I suppose in the first in the first instance, I'd say it uh, can be looked at um, separate to sustainable intensification. There's there's a lot of adaptation measures that you know properly well cited uh, measures that don't necessarily contradict. Uh, intensification and I think of things like hedgerows and field margins and riparian buffers and, and these sort of uh, adaptation interventions in the first instance and um, in our sectoral adaptation plan and um, as part of our public consultation you know the issue of intensification was raised uh, you know as a potential threat to uh, biodiversity in that, in that regard but a lot of the measures in the plan um, I, I would envisage them as, as separate uh, to, to that issue, or potentially separate. Uh, they're, they're no harm, you know, they're, they're, they're benefits, and they have potential co-benefits in, in terms of biodiversity and, and wider, uh, wider issues beyond intensification. Okay. 
there's um, just a question in relation to silvopasture. I presume it, it relates to ag the role, potential role of agroforestry. Uh, do you see that this could be, become uh, an important part of the adaptation plan, particularly in relation to animal shelter and potential for heat stress and other inclement weather impacts? Yeah, it's, it didn't necessarily uh, feature in, so say I, I was talking about the, the potential adaptation measures in our case studies and um, you know, agroforestry and silvopasture didn't, didn't necessarily feature there, but it, it's certainly a measure with potential and again it has so many co-benefits in terms of you know sequestration as well but like you're talking about uh, shelter for animals and biosecurity and uh, biodiversity generally so it, it is a it's a it's a although it wasn't necessarily in this plan it certainly is a good adaptation measure uh, Michael, if I could turn to you uh, in relation to, I suppose you, you talked about 2018 being a difficult year for grassland production in this country um, and a lot of extra concentrates fed without uh, a return in uh, yield as a result. Uh, the whole question of resilience was really a big conversation point that year, wasn't it? It was, you know, how how resilient are our uh, grassland systems in Ireland, are we over-reliant uh, on, on certain aspects or are we, um, you know, are we, are we look, looking at grassland as, as uh, the, too much of a, the part of an animal's diet or um, how, how, do we, how do we get around that issue in, in the future where we, we could see a lot more variability in grass grass uh, production uh, in, in a year. Um, this, this obviously grassland production is reliant on external inputs and fertilizer. Uh, we also we see the farm to fork you mentioned in your presentation. It, it is uh, targeting reduced uh, nitrogen uh, inputs uh, into farms. How do you see all of those different factors uh, our, our Irish ag farming, uh, grassland farming, responding to those issues. Yeah, um, and 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 I suppose the, the reality of the was it probably was a, a major um, wake up call um, to 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 everybody really, Tagus and Tagus and and the rest and the rest of the in industry. But um, um, I suppose previously. When you talked about resilience and and um, that word goes around, uh, people throw it out there. And I suppose resilience is you know trying to you know respond to things that 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 that, that come at you and have 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 a response in place. And on heavy soils, if you talk about heavy soils, we always spoke uh, you know pre last ten years about uh, a buffer zone as regards feed feed supply uh, and having that in there. And now in the last uh, number of years, in the last um, probably since 2009, uh, there has to be a buffer, a feed buffer zone as regards uh, the system for uh, feed supply on, on dry farms across the country. And that's probably something that we've learned over time. And 18 has probably really shown us that because what, what really 18 has shown us, when, some, when, 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 when feed is in short supply, input, imp, um, bought in feed gets really expensive. And the only way you can mitigate against that feed cost is to have feed available inside farm gate. And ultimately, that, that may be, that is um, grass silage. And that's probably something that has, there has been real focus put on in the, in the last uh, two or three years, two years, probably. Uh, and, you know, it's fair to say that some farmers um, had that in place uh, previous to that anyway. But, you know, it, was, it has been really, it has been really um, a hard lesson for everybody that, when something gets into a uh, short supply, it gets expensive, and if it gets expensive, the animal doesn't respond any better with a, with that with that expensive feed input uh, to 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 it be when it's normal. As regards resilience, and I've seen some of the questions here. You know, fertilizer. Um, you know, the one key thing about uh, fertilizer and, and and when we move forward with clover is, you know, that's going to take a, a lot of a, a lot of better management. To come forward with uh, with 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 the same performance from from grass based systems, um, it is not a simple uh, uh, species. Uh, it requires uh, high soil fertility, uh, 
you know, high K, uh, high live uh, status, built up over time, and it requires good grazing management, and it requires good grazing management to maintain itself into the sport. Um, and, you know, that's going to be a big challenge, and it's going to be a problem for some, some, for some farms. Um, and, you know, that is the reality of that. But what Clover can do, and, and uh, Deirdre's, Hennessy's work in Moorpark, you know, Clover can fix the nitrogen very well if it's there in a high proportion. And, like, what we want is we, we want, you know, 20, 25% of Clover in the sward on average across the year. And that's, that's what we were looking at, where we, where we would see it giving added value to the sward. And, like, that's, to, to, to answer the question, that's going to give us resilience uh, going forward as well to, you know, um, as regards uh, fertilizer supply and having fertilizer there being fixed uh, across, the, uh, across, across the year. Um, we have to start, uh, this, 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 the aspect of pasture base uh, and putting pasture base out on more farms. Where we are with pasture base at the moment is uh, about, a tour, about five to 600,000 cows in the country are managed through that system. Uh, which is, you know, huge progress. But we'd like to see more of a impetus built at dry stock level. Um, we have about 6,000 farmers in the system, in PBI. We have about 2,000 covers a week going through the system. And, like, our targets would be that that should be, you know, um, higher. And, you know, that's, that's a continuous work in progress. And it's actually, it's actually um, not surprising, but this year... Um, you know, through 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 uh, COVID, uh, we've seen a, 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 a substantial rise in, in users in that in, in that system. But we'll we'll continue to strive to make that system much more um, much more um, user friendly. Um, Damien, if if I could turn to you in relation to the the policy levers and supports that will be available to. Uh, the agricultural sector over the next number of years is it seen that the cap will be uh, will there be measures included in the cap uh, that will support farmers during this transitional phase or, or you know in, in adapting to the new climate scenario and um, well I mean the cap uh, is, is currently discussions are ongoing uh, in relation to that there are uh, actions in the adaptation plan um, around feeding into that process from a term uh, in terms of even uh, financial risk management and that types of things are, are certainly feeding into discussion. But as regard to any agreements on that, I, I wouldn't have uh, information that I could say on that, just that it, it is an action in the adaptation plan feeding into that discussion that better allow uh, farmers through, through CAP to you know, prepare for adaptation. And in the program for government, uh, there's a commitment there to implement the uh, adaptation plan as well. Those measures. Okay. And is it foreseen that there will be the likes of emergency funds or those types of funds available in the, the scenario where we do see extreme weather events in the future? Uh, I, I wouldn't have that information to say if there would be uh, emergency funds. Um, I, I wouldn't have that. I wouldn't like the comment from the department. Okay, okay. Uh, Michael, um, lots of questions coming in here uh, around the, the fertilizer side of things. Uh, maybe we just go through some of the, those questions quickly. Um, can, can you expand on why the West had more water available uh, for dry matter production in 2018, please? Um, I suppose... Um, the West of Ireland uh, in 18 didn't seem to get uh, the, 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 it got slightly more rainfall than the, yeah. the southern half at different specific times in, in that June, in that um, early June, July period. And, um, you know, luckily for them, um, you know, they, they, had a, they had quite a, quite a good year uh, as regards production, whereas, you know, we were sitting on um, temperatures of 25, 26 degrees Celsius here where, you know, Everything was stalled, and we went down to you know ten degrees, uh, 10, 10, 10 kilos of growth in, in that period. So it was probably just a, a directional rainfall issue. Um, they're probably having a bit more rainfall. They are having substantially more rainfall than us at the moment, um, uh, and hopefully that that that, that does stop in the next uh, next day or two. You know, so that was it was just a directional rainfall issue. And um, the question around optimal soil fertility. I guess we 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 know that there are a lot of soils out there that are suboptimal and maybe there's 
there's levels of nitrogen going out on on, on uh, pastures that maybe aren't needed because there are you know other constraints other constraining be it lime or um, other elements that are limiting is, is that uh, is that something you you've come across in your work um um, generally, generally, what I see now is that there's a fair amount of awareness through the, you know, the, the, the soils campaign um, across the last number of years. That it's fairly clear that you know pH has to rise rather than putting in more nitrogen. So, um, where I, where my my view on it is that is that you know there's better, there's a lot more awareness now that, you know, pH has to be right and, uh, you know, elements P and K have to be right, rather than just lowering in high levels of nitrogen, um, you know, that are not going to give you the response if those other elements were right. So, um, you know, I, I, I think that, that awareness is out there. You know? I don't think, um, you know, I don't think there's guys putting out nitrogen uh, uh, Willy nilly as regards I, I, with 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 poor soil fertility, they're probably using a compound more more likely. But like soil fertility is something that um, it's like grass. It's it's something that can't be stopped. You, you can't stop the campaign with that. And you know where we're going with this for the future is that our soil fertility has to be higher if you want either clover or if you want to go to multi-species route. And um, you know. You know, clover won't stay in the sward at soil, at soil pH of six. Um, and as regards the multi-species question, I, I, I typed up the answer, but you know, there is this farm system, so a full farm system study, which Brendan Horn is starting, is receding the swards at the moment uh, over here in Cortlands, and that's going to be a comparative study. I think it's, 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 it's the, I think it's the only farm system study evaluating multi-species versus clover versus grass only, um, with dairy cows. So that, sh that should be, um, it was probably, it's time for to look at that to see what the true effect of, of those sports are. And he's looking at the environmental aspect of it as well. And I know there's other other work going on. Uh, Damien, you, you, we spoke before about a project that uh, NUI Galway are working on in relation to, to climate adaptation. Could you tell us a little bit, a bit about that? Um, well, it's a, it's a sequester project. That, uh, uh, it's taking place in NUIG and UL, and it's really trying to define uh, what we mean when we talk about uh, approach to carbon neutrality for the sector. So obviously we have our targets and we have uh, set out what we have to do, but defining what exactly carbon, what a carbon neutral sector uh, in, in agriculture and food systems will look like, uh, that's, that work is ongoing. Uh, I think that project is it's about a year to it, and maybe another run to another i'm not sure it's a 21 or 22 but it's it's uh, it's only been going a, a year but it, it'll uh, hopefully uh, define uh, what we mean for the sector and um, or at least give us uh, options to consider for defining uh, what an impulsive carbon and um, just uh, on uh, on adaptation uh, generally there's there's currently an uh, an open uh, public consultation the EU adaptation strategy. So, um, you know, uh, people involved in the sectors and participants uh, here today, that, that consultation is open um, through the, uh, when you find it online the, for the uh, EU um, adaptation strategy up the 20th of August. If people did want to feed in, you know, sector specific comments on that. How do they do that, Damien? Is there? It's, it's online. It's, I think it's through the, through the commission, but they can go online and um, feed into that uh, open, it's an EU consultation. Great. Okay, uh, Damien and Michael, uh, we have, I'm afraid, time is, has caught up on us again. Uh, so we've come to the end of our session. Thank you both sincerely for uh, the time and effort that you've put into your presentations for today. And uh, we've had lots of interesting questions coming through here. I think we've got through most of them. Um, but what we'll do is we'll, we'll download these questions and maybe get back to some individuals uh, afterwards. Um, so we, we can handle it that way. So um, thanks again. Uh, next week, uh, we'll be speaking to Donal O'Brien, who's going to be talking about uh, carbon sequestration in grassland. And uh, 
the, the, the prospects there and what's an offer uh, through uh, grassland in Ireland from a sequestration point of view. Um, so I want to thank uh, our speakers again today, uh, Michelle Lavelle for helping out in the background. And uh, please do uh, make make ac get access, you can get access to the, the YouTube video of today on our, the Chagas YouTube channel. Uh, or indeed, if you want to see the presentation, it will be on the Chagas uh, website in the next number of days. Uh, it just leaves for me to thank our production team, Andy Boland, Yvonne Maher, uh, Pat Murphy, all of our partners. And uh, thank you for watching and uh, do join us again next week for the next in our series. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagas Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson and thanks for listening.